Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, with my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week uh, I'm looking at the issue dated January 19th, 2015. And as usual, uh, we have a uh, eclectic selection of pieces that I think will both uh, entertain and educate, or educate and entertain, um, whichever um, order you prefer. The lead piece this week uh, is a fascinating essay by Virginia Postrel. Virginia Postrel is um, a writer, uh, was for many years editor of Reason magazine, but has in in more recent years um, written several books on on uh, uh, design and society, and uh, has become more of a social historian than a than a um, political commentator, political scientist. And the two, uh, uh, her most recent book, in fact, um, was entitled or is entitled the The Power of Glamour: Longing in the Art of Visual Persuasion. Um, she very nicely combines um, ideas with imagery and imagery with ideas in her works in a very interesting way. The two books under review are Packaged Pleasures, How Technology and Marketing Revolutionized Desire by Gary Cross and Robert Proctor from the University of Chicago Press, and Candy, A Century of Panic and Pleasure by Samira Kawash from Faber and Faber. Um, the review largely is about uh, packaged pleasures, and it's 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 about our consumer, the modern consumer culture, and the extent to which um, our tastes and our interests, indeed, the extent to which we um, conduct our lives um, for a certain percentage of the day, uh, is affected by uh, not just advertising, but what what we might call uh, packaging. Um, but the extent to which the way uh, objects of desire are um, packaged, uh, advertised, presented, uh, talked about um, in the mass media has, to a significant degree, uh, influenced um, public taste about a lot of things. And this is nicely um, analyzed and elucidated, not only by the book, but by Virginia Postrel in particular, and her her really fascinating essay. The other book, Candy, is is it takes the specific example of candy and chocolate and how it has um, it went from being a a, a somewhat rare um, delicacy at one point to to being the sort of ubiquitous uh, treat that we know today. So I'm very pleased and. Uh, proud of this piece by Virginia Postrel and, and uh, commend it to you. Uh, that is followed by a review by Joshua Galerner of a book entitled The Perfect Theory, A Century of Geniuses and the Battle Over General Relativity by Pedro Ferreira. This is from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, and it's about um, Einstein's uh, general theory of relativity, which, of course, um, we now take for granted it's part of the uh, cultural as well as scientific landscape, 
But it wasn't always thus, of course, uh, particularly since Einstein, when he um, uh, evolved his theory, was a, in effect a failed academic working uh, in a, a almost semi-clerical position at the Swiss Patent Office in Bern. He had, as, as anyone would recognize today, he had very little um, professional standing. He was also quite young. He was only in his mid-late 20s at the time. So... Uh, persuading the world of the validity of Einstein's theory of relatively, relativity was no easy task, and this book describes how it all came to pass. That is followed by a, a piece by uh, Edwin Yoder, another frequent contributor to our pages, of um, someone who uh, I had not really known about, and I consider myself a kind of uh, somebody with a uh, at least an amateur interest in American politics and American politics of the South. But the book is entitled The Political Career of W. Kerr Scott, the Squire from Haw River, uh, by Julian Pleasance. The publisher is the University Press of Kentucky. And um, W. Kerr Scott was um, governor of Kentucky in the late 40s and early 50s and then served a term in the U.S. Senate before dying prematurely, but he is one of those key figures, uh, at any rate, in the history of North Carolina, sort of between the old North Carolina and the new. Um, and he himself, of course, was a more uh, complicated and complex figure than that would suggest. Um, he was very forward-looking in many ways and somewhat backward-looking than others, but uh, a great character and a great um, and an important politician in the in the evolution of the South uh, in the twentieth politically, in the, at any rate, in the twentieth century. That is followed by an essay by Micah Maddox, um, uh, another uh, occasional contributor to our pages, who um, puts together a wonderful um, uh, uh, um, internet site about. Um, literature and culture entitled Proof Rock, and he has written a delightful essay entitled Where's Waldo? There is less to the Bard of Concord than meets the eye. This is a what we might call a contrarian's view of uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, the famous New England uh, poet, clergyman, philosopher, uh, and transcendentalist. Micah Maddox does not count himself among his uh, admirers, Emerson's admirers, and anyone who shares Micah Maddox's view of Emerson, or for that matter, uh, admires Emerson, is interested to learn what could anyone could possibly dislike about him, will be interested to read the piece. Um, that is followed by an essay by a young writer named Ryan Schinkel on Roger Scruton's new book from Bloomsbury entitled how to be a conservative. Roger Scruton is, of course, the great British philosopher and um, 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 political scientist um, who frequently writes about the context, uh, the um, the uh, interface, one might say, between philosophy and current events. And it's a, 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 a an interesting book on the principles that ought to motivate conservatives in the modern world, nicely elucidated by uh, Ryan Schinkel. And John Podhoritz's movie this week, 
is uh, Selma, the uh, new film uh, that depicts, uh, it's come out on the 50th anniversary of the Selma to uh, Montgomery March in 1965 that helped trigger the passage of the Voting Rights Act of that era. And, um, of course, the movie has raised some hackles because there's a perception that it treats um, the then-President Lyndon Johnson unfairly. Of course, I take some interest in it because the the speeches that uh, Dr. King gives in the film are not speeches that he actual, actually gave, since the King family, of course, very jealously guards the, the copyright on King's language. So I will be interested to see the movie, uh, not only to see how they render King's words in some persuasive fashion, um, but also um, to see uh, how closely I agree or disagree with John Podhoritz's always astute analysis. So I thank you very much again for joining me for this podcast. Um, I thank you for your time and look forward to sharing some time with you next week about next week's issue.